Hello and welcome to the NYC Academic Solutions Podcast, where we empower parents with actionable insights, practical advice, and expert knowledge to help their children excel in education and beyond. I'm your host, Alexander Friedman, the owner of Brooklyn Math Tutors. In this podcast, we're committed to delivering valuable non-commercial content by engaging in conversations with various experts who will share their knowledge and experience to help NYC parents navigate the unique and complex world of education in the city. Today, we'll be exploring how art and movement can boost your child's math skills with our guest, McKenna Hart. McKenna is an experienced elementary school teacher at the Dalton School, holding a master's in special education and general education for grades one through six. She's passionate about creative learning and incorporates her background in music business into her teaching. In this episode, McKenna will share specific strategies and activities that can engage your children in fun, interactive math learning experiences. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, McKenna. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Before we get to the art and learning, can you first tell us a bit about your history and your background as an educator? Yeah, so I actually, I'm one of those teachers who was career switcher, so I didn't start off thinking I was going to be a teacher. Actually, I told myself I would never be a teacher because my whole family is teachers. Um, So I went to school for music business, worked in the music industry for a while, um, but found that I was missing working uh, with kids when I was in the city. Um, And so I applied to work in the office of a building, of a school building, and they said, we actually need teachers. And I said, I've never taught. My family's all teachers, but I'm not going to be a teacher. And uh, they're like, well, we'll train you. So (laughs) I went in thinking I was going to be an office aide, came out um, being a science teacher for kindergarten through fourth and ended up loving it so much that I went on to pursue my master's in special education. So you couldn't you couldn't get away from it. I couldn't escape. It was apparently uh, passed down and I'm stuck with being a teacher now. (laughs) That's it. That's it. How did you become interested in integrating art and movement into math? So this is, so I actually, and I tell all my students this too, um, that I work with at school and tutor. I actually grew up hating math. My parents are aerospace engineers. And so they just really understand numbers very, just very quickly. And so they assumed that that would be the way I would learn. And so it was very frustrating as I was growing up. Um, My relationship with math was not great because I was only taught in one way. And I'm someone who's always been extremely creative. I always love music, performance, all these different ways to express my understanding and competency in areas. And so when I was thinking uh, about how to teach my students who have all diverse learning needs and diverse ways of accessing information, I was thinking about myself as a kid where I, what would I have wanted to be able to understand math in the way that I do now as an adult and understanding there's so many different ways to get to that one answer you have for a problem. But you can access different parts of your brain, different parts of your body as you're solving different types of the same problem, but in a different way for each person. I kind of rambled there, but hopefully that makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So give me some examples of what that might look like, you know, uh, in contrast to a normal classroom where you just have a teacher and there's like chalk and, you know, there's numbers and algorithms. What what does art and, and movement look like when you combine it with math? Yeah, so this could look like um, creating, like, a, so say you're working on area and perimeter, right? Maybe you have your student get up and actually walk around the perimeter of the room and measure, draw, map the room that they're in, right? So then they're not only saying, okay, well, I'm not just doing a problem to do a problem. I'm actually calculating some area that I exist in, which is great because they're interacting with the space around them. They're physically moving because a lot of kids, right? And I work with elementary students, so 
they don't like to sit around for very long. I don't want to keep them at the rug or in a seat for too long of time because that doesn't help them focus, right? They need different breaks of time to refocus and be able to be really, really honed in on each set project that they're each part of the problem they're working on. So having the student walk around and then measure correctly. So then this works on another, pulls in another skill um, and then draw their area and perimeter that they've calculated onto a sheet as well. And they can add color and other, if we want to take it further, they could measure out a chair, their desk, anything else that they have in there. And so then they're getting really excited because now they're creating their room, basically their space, but they're also doing math to be able to complete that. So it sounds like you're connecting these very abstract concepts into their physical reality. Exactly. So then it gives them a connection point for a, a why behind why we would do this. Because I, I think that's a lot of the biggest pushback that um, I'll get from students is like, well, why do we need to do this? But you never get that question if you're putting them into a, if you're giving them like a, a really good grounded like context and then a project to build upon that incorporates a bunch of different ways of expression, whether that be movement or art. I have an interesting story about this because I've noticed you can, if you use similar techniques, because I've used like similar ideas. You can often teach people concepts that they seem like they're too young to learn. Like I was working with with a girl who was like much under my usual age range of students and we wanted to learn like, I think it was area or volume. It was something similar. And there was just no way that I was going to explain to her conceptually what it is. But if you explain, oh, well, volume is like, you know, how many cups of water, like, you know, it's liquid or something like that, then she was able to grasp it. And, and I don't think it would have been possible at all to explain it in, in formulas. Yes, exactly. And that's another thing, right? Like for me growing up, it was like memorize this formula, plug it in. But I didn't understand what the formula was doing. So like what you were explaining, right, with the water, right? You're actually seeing what's happening when you're doing these calculations. So then it gives meaning to why you're doing this. It builds a better understanding of like actual numbers sense versus just memorization. And that doesn't stick with you. Yeah. I wonder if maybe like for some kids that are better at like applying the abstract or being like just fluent with abstract topics, it's not as it's not as critical. But I, I think for most people, like, you know, how do you develop number sense without having some sense in the real world of what it really means? Right. Or access to different types of manipulatives that can help you kind of visualize and see what's happening, whether that be like even like thinking about base tens, right, and using number blocks to create numbers and like actually physically see, oh, how many, you know, ones, tens, hundreds do I have that create this number? Oh, and interesting. physically seeing that. We, we didn't have any of these manipulatives in, in uh, Soviet Russia. <laughs> so intuitively, this makes sense. Is there like any science to back this up? Yeah, there's there's a ton of science behind it. And a bunch of people are doing even more and more research because it's kind of like the cool thing to talk about too. Everyone wants to say, you know, oh, we're being really creative in the classroom. But there's a really strong science behind it, right? If we think about, first of all, all the different types of learners, we know that there's like kinesthetic, right? Visual, auditory, all these different ways that you take in information. And I've also found that it's really helpful to have students and uh, my tutor students I work with as well, like identify and try and work through what way do they access information the best and then they can let me know so that I can also build more individualized plans for them based on what they might need. But if, for instance, right, you're a more kinesthetic learner, then you need to be physically doing things and you need to be moving your body and connecting a lot of these concepts with more movement. And you also have to do all of the, you can't watch someone do the problem. You have to do the steps yourself. So they're not going to get it if they 
there just looking at the board, even though it could look really colorful and great for a visual learner. So you can think about the different types of ways that you take in information. But then we can also think about how our brains retain information, right? We have these neural pathways that become stronger the more we use them, right? And so if we're putting, like, let's say, again, we could go back to the Aryan perimeter example. If we're giving the student something to do that involves some sort of movement that they're doing every day, they're walking in their room, right, in our classroom every day. So they're immediately, they're building that, okay, now they're associating, right, walking in, thinking about, okay, now this is the perimeter here. And then I also uh, always create, like, little, like, fun things to kind of help remember as well, like, either, like, it could be, like, rhymes or something else creative, but one thing for area is I would always say, okay, area is the space within. And so it was, uh, and for those that can't see it, you basically just put your hands, like, you're kind of, like, getting ready for a yoga class, but it's this connection with, it's, like, a, a dual thing, right? So it's, like, they're making this movement that is then getting their brain to think, okay, oh, we're doing something here, but now it's, like, the space within, and it connects it and builds that up, and it's stronger and stronger for them to be able to remember it, and it's a stronger neural pathway than if they had just talked about it or written it down once, because there's multiple things being used. So here's a out-of-the-box question, but is it really reasonable for kids to be able to remember or do things without this? That's a good question. I think for some learners, 100% yes. I think there are some kids that it makes a lot of sense just to have the formulas and the steps and they they like having that, that structure. Boom, they're ready to go. I would question though for those kids that see that, are they actually able to explain what they're calculating? Because I think a lot of times we are praising like memorization versus understanding. And I think this method is focused on building understanding and previous methods of just like practice without integrating different things um, is more so of like a, a memorization regurgitation almost. And now I will say that does that does work, but I don't think that it is as effective in truly understanding why it works, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's a question of what does it mean that it works, right? Just because someone can pass a test doesn't mean that they understand the concepts. And at some point, they'll need to have a deeper understanding and they'll be like, well, wow, I didn't, I don't actually understand perimeter or, or why these things work the way they do. What age group is this most suitable for? Like, this seems like easy to apply to younger uh, age groups. Does it also work for older age groups? 100%. I think uh, we actually need to incorporate this more with older students. Now, I don't work as much with older students, but I think about like my own experience in education and anything where I had to do some sort of like, like project that involved some sort of performance or um, some sort of art to do, like that is what I remember the most. And it's because I had to use all kinds of different skills to be able to present information. So I had to really understand what I was presenting versus other times where I've just like written a paper or taken a test. And those things don't stick with me as much. And so I think we miss out a lot in older grades because I think we get a little bit more serious thinking about, okay, maybe what's after you know after high school after like or the I don't know I feel like elementary school it's very easy to be like oh yeah we have a lot of fun we have colors all this stuff we have all these art supplies always right in your homeroom class right with math uh, English all that going on we have all of these creative supplies for the students to use when they need them I don't think and again I I'm not in a middle school or high school setting I don't think that's as common and I think that if it was more common that there could be an opportunity 
opportunity to really deepen understanding in these subject areas. And I don't think it has to be like, oh, we're doing like it can be it can look different because obviously these kids are more mature. And so that project might look like creating a music video that, you know, details um, how to find the and now I'm blanking on what I want to say from calculus because I don't remember much from calculus because I didn't do much in calculus. But like um, some area under some curve or something. Yeah, some area under a, a curve, right? So some something there where they could really interact with the material in a different way than they're than they're used to. It's interesting that you mentioned that when you had to do a presentation to teach, uh, you found that you like had to really like, get much deeper into the the subject to, to really like, be able to explain it. And I always I also found that to be true. Whenever I did tutoring, I never remember how someone taught me. Like, I don't remember how I learned trig in school, but I remember distinctly whenever I had to teach anything, I would always end up having to create these kind of like real, not necessarily tactile, but some some kind of representations for people that were a little bit more out of the box to actually help them understand versus just like, here's the formula, here's how you taught in school. Because otherwise it just it just wouldn't work. And and you don't really like know, you may know enough to pass a test, but when you try to teach it, you know, you realize you don't actually understand it that well until until you like can explain it in, in multiple different levels. So let, let's say we're talking about elementary school kids here. And let's say you're a parent. Um, how could parents help their kids learn math using this approach? Uh, this is one of my favorite questions. I think that there are so many opportunities for um, parents to just engage with their kids with the world around them, right? Like it could be as simple as doing something like, okay, today we're going to act like a clock and we're going to look and we're going to see what time it is, but I need you to show me with your body what time it is and explain why you did that. So there's like a lot of different fun things that you can do, right? But like I'm thinking of like situations where kids might ask questions, right? And then the parents, right? You had this opportunity where maybe, okay, you can incorporate a little question like, if a kid and this is something I get from all my students what time is it okay well let's go look and why don't you show me and you could have them explain in different ways right because telling time is something actually that a lot of students struggle with because we're so used to using our phones and not actually thinking about what that time might look like and then you could even take it a step further and say okay well we are gonna have dinner in 30 minutes so then what would the clock look like or what would the time show so then they're having to think through right and they can either write it out they could act it out with their body they could draw it or they could do practice some mental math as well using like landmark numbers but there's lots of ways to engage in daily life where you can kind of build in math into okay it's kind of all around us and so kind of looking for those opportunities and i think also when your child comes home and they present you with math work and you say this is not how i learned it don't panic look at the problem have and have your student even if they're stuck have them first try to explain it to you and they might say oh well that's not how I learned it in school say okay what did your teacher have you do take me step by step there's a lot now that we do that's more looking especially in an elementary math setting right we're looking a lot more at like friendly numbers and thinking about how we can make how we can efficiently do mental math which I never experienced as a student and so that may look foreign to a parent but I think don't panic about so much like doing it a certain way but i think just ask your 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 child more questions that allow them to feel comfortable to explore and and be wrong too and that's okay and just have them kind of work through it it's better 
I think, to be um, a sounding board for them to then to necessarily say, well, this is how you would solve it, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, when you brought up the clock example, I was thinking, oh, there's so many ways you can use that, even at different grade levels. Okay, so first you're doing time, but then at some point you can use that same hand motion to be like, okay, what angle is this? Yes. What's 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 the angle of like the minute hand to, to the 12 or or you could say, okay, you can look at it as fractions, like what fraction of the hour and you can totally sweep out uh, a size of, 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 you know, the clock pie. There's so many ways to do this. How do you do this in a classroom setting, though? So this is, again, like with any concept that I'm teaching, we'll usually like associate it with uh, a specific project or um, exploration. So it might not look like, and this isn't happening every single lesson, right? They're not, this isn't necessarily something that happens every single time, right? There are some times where we're, we do go back to just that rote repetition because it is good practice, but usually it'll be incorporating like some sort of activity where they're either engaging with the world around them or the world within them. So thinking about how they can express their um, understanding and what that might look like. So that might be, okay, they're going to create a video, you know, of, of looking at these different types of angles, right? So I had one of my students do this, one of my tutoring students do this, where she acted out different types of angles. And so then she had all of these different, which was really cool and that helped her and she made all these voices for like obtuse and acute so that like she had like a tiny voice like a tiny soft voice for acute and this like big monster for so it was great and like but then other times we'll just strictly look at angles and say okay how do we know and talk through but I always like to start and this is this is also going back to my like science teaching I always like to start with like an exploratory so it's like I don't expect the students to know it right away so and they may have no idea what's going on which is also okay all i want them to do is like ask questions and kind of start piecing together like different parts of it so right if we like let's say if i was doing like an exploratory lesson on like different types of angles i might just put an obtuse angle a right angle and an acute angle and i might just say what do you notice without anything else and i want them to talk me through what they're seeing talk me through what they already know right practicing accessing that kind of information and pulling from what they already know too is a really important skill that can also be built on just having them kind of explore it first. And then we'll throw in more of the integrated lessons with also some of the more repetition and practice. That, that actually like touches on my next question, which is how do you integrate this into like the current educational standards? Is there any room for it in the standards or is it just something you add to make you know, the standards work essentially? I think it only boosts the standards. I think the purpose of these types of lessons and integrating right art and movement and these different um, ways of demonstrating knowledge only help the student access true understanding. So whatever goal that might be, we're basically giving them another pathway to get to that end goal. Gotcha. So it, it'll it goes with the standard. So we're not we're not we're not change we're not changing the we're not changing you know New York standards here. We're not reinventing the wheel. All we're doing is teaching the students another way to roll the wheel. Gotcha. <laughs> 
So this is basically a tool to help them actually have a deeper understanding of what they should be learning, the more formalized concept they should be learning. Exactly. Yes. Can you share any like success stories of students who have benefited from this? There is a student that I tutor who struggles um, with like base tens. And we did, um, he loves, loves, loves um, Marvel. And so I've created a bunch of um, problems that involved knowledge using base tens with like Marvel superhero characters that he had to like draw and create and like put on teams and like this really helped him kind of like understand how many needed to go on how many tens were in a hundred because we had 10 Spider-Mans from the multiverse going into 100 so it's like it's like things like that where it's like you're taking the the fundamental root of what they need to get and you're kind of throwing in some fun stuff that they really like that is going to make sense to them in their world. Oh, okay. I was I was trying to think like how do you how do you use tens in Marvel? Do you have any other examples? I'm so curious. This is gonna be totally off topic, but um, I'm trying to think of what else I, I've done. Oh, so I, well, in my science, I would always do rap battles. Wait, what? <laughs> so I would have rap battles with my students. Um, so this was it for our electricity unit. And so basically at the end of the unit, um, after, you know, we lit up light bulbs with potatoes, all these really cool experiments and they should, they understand, right? North, South Pole, like all these different things. They could create a rap and I would give them three options for beats. They would practice, they would write, it they would practice with each other in their table groups then they would rap battle each other the winners of each it would be like a full bracket and then the winner of that got to rap battle me and i told them that it was going to be like a rap battle roast so they had to be ready because i was going to throw down so they would like often it was great because they would really rally behind each other and they'd be like oh wait say add this part about this and like throw in an extra line and like it was it's great and they had so much fun with it and it was one of my favorite things too because it was pulling from my own creative love of music and getting to incorporate that with with them too and they still they some of them still know their raps like i saw them like years later and they're like oh i remember because because they wrote it it's like their own song <laughs> that is fantastic so this is what you get by actually getting a good education people who want to teach you well uh I, my next question was going to be related to this which is how do you incorporate this into subjects other than math oh you can yeah you can do it with any subject well that's the other thing too like um i so I was a, originally I started off as a specialist teacher in a science position at an elementary school. And I think that, right, we always think about how important, right, like math, reading, like these are like our core subjects, but those can exist in specialist subjects that math and English can exist in theater. It can exist in chess. It can exist everywhere. And those subjects can also exist in the core curriculum. I think we spend too much time. I mean, this is a whole nother tangent. I think we spend too much time saying this is the most important and these are the extras the extracurriculars i don't think anything's extra i think we have a whole child and we have a whole bandwidth of knowledge to pull from and put together it's a it's a web and it's not like sections and so you can use different parts of that web to help you understand something else so like this could work right you could in art right you could create two-dimensional shapes and have that become a drawing and work on measuring 
measuring, like give give students specific measure and measurements that they need to do for each shape. Or you could think about like theater, like maybe they're going through and now this is switching to like reading, but they, I mean, they're having to read out loud for their parts, for their scripts, right? All of these things intertwine. And I think we spend so much time thinking about them as separate when they actually should be going in between each other because they can only help students. Gotcha. That was that was also going to be the theme of my next question. Uh, and I think I know your answer, but let, let's be clear. So is there any conflict between creativity and rigor when, when using like art and music uh, for math learning or any of these other uh, subjects that people need to learn? No, because I would argue creativity is rigorous in itself. You're, I, I think it's it's sometimes even harder if you're staring at a blank page and you have no sh- nothing to come up with, right? And any project that you give, right? Creativity doesn't mean that it's just, it's easy, right? Creativity just means that you are pulling from multiple different sources, coming up with your own individual way of arriving to an answer. So I think in, in that way, it's more rigorous because it's not just one set way to do something. Great. Okay. Uh, I think I think that's all for today. Then uh, I hope people found this interesting, and I, I I really appreciate you coming on. So yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully, it didn't ramble too much. <laughs> no, no, not at all. This has been great. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We appreciate your time, and hope you found our discussion insightful and valuable. If you have any questions or thoughts about today's topic, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You'll find our email address in the show notes. We also welcome any suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover, as our goal is to provide you with the most useful and relevant information possible. If you enjoyed this episode and believe this information can benefit others, please consider sharing it with your friends, family, or colleagues. Your support helps us reach more people and make a positive impact on their educational journey. Additionally, leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform helps others discover a podcast and allows us to continue bringing you valuable content. Once again, thank you for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you in our next episode. Take care and see you soon.